Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate communities shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. We'd love for you to join us on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're calling this year the Year of the Bible as we read and study through the Bible cover to cover. On August 25th, we'll kick off the New Testament along with home-based small groups who will study the weekly reading together. If you'd like more information about any of this, visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Good morning. Would you please stand with me as we read our teaching text today? This is Colossians 1, 28 and 29. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Let's pray. Father, we open ourselves up to you today. We're gathered together because we need to feel your love. We need to feel your peace. We need to interact with your grace. So we open ourselves up now. We relinquish our right to ourselves, and we just say, come, have your way. Thank you for anointing John. Thank you for filling this place with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Thanks, Bill. Well, the first settlers in what became the city of Tulsa were Native Americans who had been taken from their homelands after the Indian Removal Act of 1830. And the Turtle Clan and the Creek Nation relit their ceremonial fires underneath what's now known as the Council Oak Tree near 17th and Cheyenne. And they called the area Tulasi, which in their native language uh, meant Old Town. And Tulasi is the same word from which uh, the city of Tallahassee gets its name. The area that became Tulsa really started uh, to grow, and uh, after the Civil War during Reconstruction, uh, in 1879, the first post office was established, and not long after that, uh, the railroad made an official stop in the area of Tulsa. And almost immediately after this happened, missionaries started coming into Indian territory and started coming into the area that became known as Tulsa. Uh, The first known sermon to be preached in the Tulsa area was by a guy named Robert M. Lockridge. Camp Lockridge is named after him. He was a Presbyterian missionary. Uh, There was a Methodist missionary named Sylvester Morris who built his house near what's now Owen Park, the Tulsa Children's Museum. His house is still standing uh, to this day. Uh, There was a a Roman Catholic church really early on along with Baptists, including an African-American Baptist church. Uh, that was called Macedonia Baptist, which was later moved and renamed uh, First Baptist Church North Tulsa. And I've recently gained access to memoirs written by my great-great-grandfather, Solon Welch, uh, who uh, I learned through his memoirs was an itinerant charismatic evangelist. And he led a charismatic revival in what would become the city of Tulsa before Oklahoma had achieved statehood. And from its earliest days, our city has had a really vibrant and unique faith community. As the city grew, so did the number of churches and the number of parachurch organizations. Uh, With the birth of schools like Oral Roberts University and Rhema Bible College and Victory Bible Institute, uh, Tulsa became a hub for religious training and sending people out. 
And in the city of Tulsa, there was a season in which it felt like there was a church on every single corner, and to be Tulsan was the same as to be Christian. As time has progressed and generations have come and generations have gone and assumed and handed off leadership, the vitality and the presumed universality of Christian identity in the city of Tulsa has waned. And this has happened for a variety of reasons, with the the public moral failures of pastors in our city and in the country, um, with with the rise of secularism and the increasing monoculture uh, provided by the internet. And like it used to be, like on the coasts, things were very different, but America is becoming much more the same as a result of uh, the internet. Tulsa, like the rest of the country, has seen the rise in what's called nuns and duns. Nuns being those people who have no faith affiliation of any kind, and duns being those people who have walked away from a faith affiliation that they previously had. For as many churches as we have in the city of Tulsa, we have just as many back doors. And there are a lot of people, I'm sure in this room as well, who've been hurt by the church. And many people have been abused by pastors or priests, been disillusioned by unreflective or harmful comments, been disappointed by a lack of intellectual vigor uh, or the over-identification of the church with partisan politics. Sometimes people have been hurt because uh, the church has an unmerciful spirit toward those who sin differently than we do. And now in the city of Tulsa, increasingly, a generation is growing up who really has no point of reference for the gospel. And seeing declining numbers and and feeling the pressure to fill the pews, lots of churches in town have have felt this like uh, angst to like put on a good show, to increase the production value of what happens in the building. And maybe that's going to attract and compel worshipers to come, pumping out the content of really flashy preaching to social media as quickly as possible. Other churches have continued quietly marching along, doing their thing, and many, many churches in our city have closed their doors. And all of us, those of us who are following Jesus and those of us who are part of churches, are in our own ways trying to figure out how to steward our opportunities, how to read the times, how to make sense of how Christ is calling us to embody the gospel in our city. And during these these last 20, 30 years in our city, a ton of new churches have started, including ours in 2018. We've just been around. We're still a baby church, a couple years old. And we started in January of 2018, not out of like an arrogance that we can do it better, but out of a recognition that there's an endless need for fresh energy cycles, that we always need to give it another go. So we recognize every generation of churches, every Christian, and every year we must renew our commitment to seeking the kingdom of God in our city, in our time, that it may be in Tulsa as it is in heaven. And so as we're closing out 2019 and we're looking forward to the coming of 2020, we've set aside this Sunday to prayerfully perceive as a congregation what fresh thing God might want to do among us. And, uh, you know, vision sermons are kind of tricky, and, and every year comes every year. And so I was asking God for a scripture and for a word, a specific, like, word of the year that could help us narrate and name and understand the fresh thing that God wants to do among us. And with this passage that Bill has just read from Colossians 1, I feel like we've been given both a scripture and a word that really resonates within me. 
Here's how it begins. He is the one we proclaim. The mission of the church is not to preach ourselves, but Christ. The church is not chiefly concerned with being conservative or being progressive. The church is not here just to create moral people or nice people. The the mission of the church is all about what Scott McKnight calls Christoformity, to meet the person of Jesus Christ and to be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ, which the way we say it in our mission is to, to be a community shaped by the gospel. We preach not ourselves, but Christ. And if the church is a personality cult, it doesn't hinge on the personality of the pastor shepherd, but on him who is the great shepherd of the flock, Jesus Christ. He is the one that we proclaim. And Paul says we do this admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. This language reflects exhaustive effort. It's like we're coming at this from every angle because we want people to behold Christ. We're we're using all of our faculties and resources to, with, with the deliberate attention, fix our energy on Jesus, not just as individuals, but as a community. And in a busy and a noisy world, to get a group of people fixated on one thing and one person together is a really daunting but noble task. But we do this for a right end, for a great purpose. This is what Paul says. For what purpose do we do these things? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Fully mature I love the word maturity. I love the word mature. Uh, Nina thought that it had way too much to do with puberty and pubescence, and I said, no, our people are too mature to think that. But I love this word. It reflects someone who's taking ownership for their life. And that's the word that I feel like God has given us for 2020, this word maturity, that we may present not one person, not a couple leaders in the church, but everyone Fully mature in Christ. Now, maturity is disappearing in our world. In fact, Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska wrote a book called The Vanishing American Adult. Uh, emotional maturity, relational maturity, professional maturity, spiritual maturity, these things are disappearing in our world. For every one person that you know uh, that you could name as being mature, responsible, they're a person who takes care of themselves and is striving to be their best, for every one person like that, you could probably name 40 who are really, really emotionally and otherwise immature. The Greek word used for mature here is teleos, teleos, uh, which connotes completion or arrival or being fully realized. A person who is teleos is living into their full uh, capacities and potential and calling. And Paul says that the fruit or the byproduct that the church exists to create in proclaiming Christ with all wisdom is this community of people who are fully mature. They've been fully teleosed in Christ. Six weeks ago, I was at a retreat in, uh, near San Jose, California, and among these beautiful, beautiful redwood trees, and, and for part of the retreat, I went out on a little hike, and I lay down on this log, and I just looked up at these massive trees, these redwoods. They're awe-inspiring. Maybe you've had a chance to see like, like something like this, a tree like this that has endured through generations. They're awe-inspiring. It's these great, massive trunks with roots that go deep down into the earth and go way into the sky. 
They're a vision of maturity. They demonstrate a capacity to withstand the storms of life, to be stable, to be responsible, to be a living vision of quiet endurance, slowly going and slowly growing one direction, which is toward maturity. Paul says, he is the one we proclaim, teaching and admonishing everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone as redwoods, as fully mature in Christ. And then he concludes, he says, to this end or for this purpose, I strenuously contend with all of the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul is a hard worker. He's got a work ethic. For a lot of his ministry as a missionary, he was also working as a manual laborer, making tents. The dude knew how to work hard. And he loves this word strenuous, strenuously, a straining. It gives a picture of someone who's just given it all they've got. Across town right now, a bunch of people in our church are straining to finish the Route 66 marathon. Paul loves this term. He also loves race imagery. He brings it up in, uh, elsewhere in Philippians. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then note what he says. All of us then who are Mature should take such a view of things. Maturity and straining forward once again go hand in hand. In Colossians, Paul pairs this image of straining with another one, which is contending. And contending calls to mind some pretty vivid imagery, like wrestling imagery of a struggle, a fight, a back and forth. You're contending to see who's going to be the king of the mountain, who's going to push the other one off. This word contending, again, makes us ask, like, well, who are you contending with? Ephesians chapter 6. He says, our struggle or our contention is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In synthesizing Paul's thinking, we proclaim Christ with all wisdom and authority, so that we can present everyone fully mature in Christ, doing this strenuously contending against the dark forces and the powers and the principalities of evil. And in every generation of followers of Christ, this is our task and this work never ends. Our commitment to this work must constantly be renewed. January 21st will make two years that we've been together as a church Uh, It feels like I've known some of you much longer than that. It feels like some of the things that have happened have been of a quality that reflects more than just two years. I'm so amazed and, and I'm profoundly grateful for everything that God's done. The ways that we've already tried to live this out together, how we've already proclaimed Christ to each other in fresh ways in our apprentice groups, like seeing major breakthrough and people coming to understand the love of Jesus for them, not just for the world, for them. 
Proclaiming Christ. You remember last year, and some of you will remember, we did the story course, teaching through the Bible in four weeks. This year, through the year of the Bible, in lots of ways over coffee and in this room, uh, proclaiming Christ to each other, pointing each other to Jesus. How we've already been taking steps toward maturity. People who were kind of on the bench previously who are taking uh, responsibility for leading one another, for, for volunteering with, with children, for being the one to speak up and get conversations going in apprentice group, for making steps to share the gospel or just be like a light to your coworkers in your workplace. We've seen each other take steps toward maturity. We've certainly grown in community. For those of you that, that Cornerstone's your home, think about the friendships that you have now that you didn't have a year ago that you didn't have two years ago. Now, some of you may be newer to our community and you're like, I want that or I haven't experienced that yet. Hang on, press in with us. But others of you will get what I'm talking about. Man, the friends that feel like family, we've only known each other for this short period of time. And consider some of the ways that we've been able to bless our city and to bless our world through uh, foster care relief, which uh, Amy Ann's gonna get up and share with us about how we're doing that for Christmas this year. How we've been able to pay the salary of a, a couple Middle Eastern pastors in a, in a really persecuted country. We've been able to pool our resources and do some really cool things. And just on the whole, this sense of freshness, of, of lightness, of energy, people who have been kind of given it their all for a long time, feeling renewed in their efforts and seeing fresh fruit. And for all of this, I am so grateful and I am humbled and I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of what God has done. And yet, as I consider Paul's admonition to strain toward what's ahead, to strenuously contend for the kingdom of God, I'm also confident that God has so much more for our church. Uh, we know by, by anecdotally and just by looking at numbers that we've been incredibly effective as a congregation at engaging people who have some kind of Christian background. And so there have been many people who have come to our church who were perhaps associated with another church before or had lapsed in attendance and just kind of re-engaged because you had a friend. And that's great. We have a ton, ton of people who had a childhood faith that they walked away from maybe when they moved out of mom and dad's house. Uh, but as they're entering adulthood or, or now they're having kids, are seeing that childhood faith reawakened. And for all of those people and all that work, I say thanks be to God. But when it comes to talking about first-time professions of faith, when it comes talking to talking about like a person who for the first time in their life crosses the line and trusts in Jesus, people who did not have hope, encountering the hope met in the person of Jesus, we're talking about single digits. And I don't believe that reflects everything that God has for us, do you? Do you? No, there's more. And so I am grateful and I'm humbled and I'm amazed, but I am not satisfied. And I know you're not either. And so what do we do? We strain toward what's ahead. We strenuously contend against the forces of darkness for the future that God wants to bring about through the breaking in of Jesus' kingdom through the local church. What does that look like for us as this community called Cornerstone in the year 2020? In the next couple of minutes, I want to outline four ways that I feel like God is inviting us to proclaim Christ, to take steps toward maturity as a community, and to strenuously contend for the kingdom of God in our church, in our city, in our country, and in our world. Four ways. Uh, the first one has to do with our sermons and our teaching uh, for next year. 
Paul said, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And I want you to note the connection between Christ's proclamation and Christ-centeredness and the maturity of the church. Paul said elsewhere, in Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you want to grow in maturity? Do you want to grow in wisdom and knowledge? We are to fixate on the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he is the one we proclaim. The word for mature here in Colossians 1 is used elsewhere in the New Testament in a really significant spot. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This comes from the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5 through 7, uh, people of all faiths are flabbergasted by the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount represents Jesus' vision for the people of his kingdom. It's revolutionary, eminently practical, and all too neglected teaching by Jesus, by the people of God. And so in an effort to truly and faithfully proclaim Christ and to strive for the maturity of all, in 2020, we're going to take on the Sermon on the Mount as a community. We're going to spend January through August working through these three chapters, going slowly and considering every word, every morsel. There are going to be times where there, there may be three verses, and we think we need to slow down because this is so much bigger than one conversation. And for the first eight months of 2020, we're going to work our way through the Sermon on the Mount. As we move into the fall of year, next year, we're going, to look, we're going to look at what does it mean to live as the community of the Mount. We're going to study Paul's letter to the Ephesians, a vision for a mature congregation, people who are being made fully mature, fully teleost in Christ. And as we wrap out the year next year during Advent, we're going to look at what does it mean to worship Jesus who is the King of the Mount. Next year, we're going to take in a really serious way this admonition by Paul to proclaim Christ. And I hope that we get very uncomfortable next year. We're talking about turning the other cheek. We're talking about lust. We're talking about prayer. We're talking about our secret lives. We need to cultivate those and steward those for the kingdom. I hope that next year in working our way through the sermon, we are deeply and uncomfortably pushed into being like Jesus as a community. We're doing this because he is the one we proclaim for the purpose that all may be fully mature in Christ. The second area we're going to look at is in the area of discipleship for 2020. Now, I've already hinted at this, but you don't grow mature by accident. Uh, mature people are cultivated. And we're being assaulted every day by forces that are, are working against our emotional, physical, professional, relational, spiritual maturity in all kinds of ways. And our immaturity shows up chiefly in our relationships. It shows up, it shows up in our relationship with ourselves, how we manage ourselves, our words, our time, our energy, um, our responses to other people. It shows up in our most intimate relationships, and so our, our families of origin, a lot of us, like uh, next week during Thanksgiving, some of you are going to behave like five-year-olds because you're around your family of origin. You're normally like, great, but then you get around that aunt and she just brings out the crazy. <laughs> our immaturity shows up in relationships, and our relationships as we uh, get married and as we have children, our children bring out the worst in us. Uh, and also in our relationship with God, our immaturity shows up in relationships. 
Now, a ton of the time in the church, we have discipleship efforts that are very, very well-intentioned, but if you can picture an iceberg, uh, the, the content of our discipleship really only addresses the tip of the iceberg. We've got these habits and narratives and systems of belief. We have these wounds from our childhood, our family of origin, uh, that often goes unaddressed by discipleship efforts in a church. So what do we do about it? In fall of 2020, we're taking on a fresh approach to deliberately cultivate emotionally healthy, emotionally mature disciples. And it's going to begin with a robust and fresh approach to maturity in relationships, developing emotionally healthy relationships, starting with ourselves and then in our relationship with other people, deliberately diving into the wounds from our families of origin, the habits from our families, and developing skills to navigate those as people who are shaped by the gospel. Inviting God into the tedium of how we interact with others and how we interact with ourselves. And as I've worked through a lot of the material that we're going to be looking at next year, I am confident that this is going to preserve and transform friendships. This is absolutely going to save and improve marriages. This is going to transform how we operate at work and with our families and in church. This is called emotionally healthy discipleship. Some of you may be familiar with the practices. We're going to kick this off in fall of 2020. And it's designed to be a big and robust answer to a really, really big problem of immaturity in the church. Emotionally healthy discipleship. Uh, The next one has to do with the topic of prayer, prayer in 2020. Prayer is the primary arena in which we strenuously contend with the forces of darkness and for the kingdom of God. Uh, When we were launching as a church, uh, we we took this admonition to strenuously contend in prayer really seriously. Uh, We we talked forever about John 15, 5. Jesus said, if you remain in me and I in you, you're going to bear fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If we remain in him and he in us, we will bear fruit. And so we tried to take this seriously as a community. We set a goal of of sowing 3,000 hours of prayer into the launch of our church. We tried really hard, and we got to 1,000. And over the last two years, we have kept that candle of prayer burning every Thursday at corporate prayer. And it's never been a roaring flame, but it has been a steady candle. And honestly, that reflects my prayer life, not nearly what I hope that it can be, not yet fully realized and living into my potential. It's just a steady candle. But as a mentor of mine said, you can still set a forest ablaze with a small candle. So for more than two years, we've done this, and we want to take steps toward maturity, strenuously contending, not with just what's left of our energy, but with the energy that Christ so powerfully works in us. So we want to grow in prayer, uh, contending for the work of God in our church, our city, and our world. And I don't believe that we're going to see the kind of breakthrough that we hope for, that the, the person, the son or daughter that you've been, you've been like crying out to God for, I don't think we're going to see those breakthroughs apart from contending prayer together as a church. And so in 2020, we are relaunching and expanding our corporate prayer gatherings uh, to include worship, to include guided prayer, training on how to pray, and directing our prayer together toward like strategic missional 
ends, contending for the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in our church, contending for the lost, the people that you know who don't know Jesus, contending for justice, contending for renewal, contending for an end to the issues that are ruining and polluting communities in our city and in our world, doubling down on this John 15 calling and working to strenuously contend for the kingdom of God. It's way sexier to do like billboards. It's way easier to do targeted social media communications to try to grow the church. But we don't want to just look good. We want to experience the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to contend for this work against the powers and the principalities of darkness through prayer. We want to take steps together as a church. And then the final way that I feel like we're being invited to take a step of maturity as a congregation is much more existential, has much more to do with our identity as a church. Now, many of you will know that we launched two years ago or so uh, out of Asbury as a satellite of Asbury. And I worked there for seven and a half years uh, before that, wearing all kinds of hats and preaching in all services. I, I loved it. Asbury, and, and, because, and by extension, Asbury is a part of the United Methodist Church, and by extension, we are part of the United Methodist Church, and I am ordained as a pastor or an elder in that denomination. Launching as a part of Asbury and as a part of the UMC has been phenomenal. Uh, we've been able to do some things that are really awesome because of this partnership. Uh, when we launched, Asbury paid my salary for the first six months of officing over here and getting together a launch team and praying this thing into reality. Since we launched, uh, they've been all of the giving that, that you guys have made is processed through Asbury, HR, payroll, IT. They have been phenomenally helpful in, in helping us get started as a church. So I've been able to focus on ministry and building relationships and building our team and not having to focus on business administration, which is an integral part of ministry, but we've had the chance to kind of grow into it. The UMC has also been really great in investing in us. So as we were launching, the, the Tulsa area of uh, United Methodist Churches, called the Council Oak District, gave us a launch gift of $100,000, which was awesome. The statewide United Methodist Church, the Conference of Oklahoma, gave us $200,000 over the last uh, two years distributed regularly. Uh, and while a ton of church plants our age struggle, especially financially, We've been able to launch from a position of strength, and we've been able to dream and add staff and, and do some really cool things. Uh, in addition to the investment of others, because you have been generous. Because you've been generous, we've been able to dream. We've been able to, I'm not fundraising full-time. I'm having conversations about Jesus, discipleship, and it has been phenomenal. Well, this summer, uh, Pastor Tom and I had our monthly breakfast where he got the oatmeal with raisins and nuts, and I got the sausage breakfast burrito, where people of routine. And uh, over breakfast, Tom and I mutually agreed that since the launch of Cornerstone has gone so, so well, that it was time for us to officially move out of mom and dad's house and launch as a new separate congregation. Uh, and we're at this place of maturity where just two years into the life of our church, we're able to do this and stand on our own two feet. But then for me, the question became, well, do we stay a United Methodist Church? Do we become a non-denominational church, or do we go and, and do something else? 
And, and these were big questions about the life of our church, and it wasn't just Pastor Tom from Asbury and me having these conversations. We have a board within Cornerstone that's been helping to, to navigate those. And so, actually, if you're in the room, would you just throw a hand up? Uh, Chris Cooper is our chair. Mary Clancy is on the board. Uh, Russ Arnold, Connie Briggs, Joe Spence, Jen Zorb, Dustin Curzon. And as a board, we've been, we've been working through these big, con- these big conversations, And we quickly rolled out the idea of becoming a non-denominational church. Now, there are tons of non-denominational churches that are doing phenomenal work. But there are also lots of churches, and perhaps you've been in these churches, where lacking an authority structure, an accountability structure from the outside, things went off the tracks and got kind of weird. And our mission is too important, and our message is too important that we don't want things to go off track for lack of structure and accountability. So we quickly ruled that out. Now, some of you might be wondering, if we're already UMC, why on earth wouldn't we just stick where we are and bloom where we're planted? And I'd say there are a handful of factors that, for me, began causing me to reflect on those questions. Now, all of these I knew, especially going into my ordination process, but some of these factors might be new news to you. One of these factors is called itinerancy. Itinerancy means that as a pastor, I serve at the pleasure of the bishop. The bishop over the state of Oklahoma tells me where I work. So it's within the authority of the bishop to call me at any point and say, John, you are now going to be a pastor in Guymon, Oklahoma, or in Lawton, or in Oklahoma City, or even elsewhere in Tulsa. It's well within the authority of the bishop, even though I guess I'm technically the founding pastor of Cornerstone, to move me to another congregation. That may be news to many of you. And at that point, another United Methodist pastor would be sent here and would take my place. The other point of concern has to do with stewardship. If we were to launch as our own United Methodist Church, we would pay what's called apportionments, which is just we're contributing to the running of the organization. And for us, that would be a good amount of money. And I think how we steward our money matters. One of the third factors that contributed to this conversation has to do with things like property ownership. So we are renting this facility right now from uh, the ELCA denomination. They've been amazing, uh, great uh, uh, partners in this. If they came to us in a year and said, do you want to buy our building? We, We would be paying for it, but the denomination would own it. And you've perhaps heard stories of other churches in town who, when their de- things with their denomination went sour, had to buy back their buildings from the denomination. Now, I knew all of that going into this, um, but, but what especially concerned me was the fourth point, which is the state of the United Methodist Church. I know that all of you don't spend all of your days just like trolling the UMC tag on Twitter or look, having a Google News alert for UMC. But while I've been incredibly well-supported in the UMC, I have a district superintendent named Cindy Havlick who's been great. Uh, Chris Tiger has been over all the new churches in Oklahoma. Chris has been amazing. I really admire Jimmy Nunn, who's our bishop. While I've been really well-supported in the UMC, at the highest level of our denomination, there is toxic infighting and covenants that have been broken are being uh, openly uh, rejected. And it's very possible that next year, when the Global United Methodist Church gets together, uh, they will vote to split as a congregation. And we had to consider, as, as we are this young, energetic congregation at this place where we're pretty nimble because we don't own property and we're not officially a United Methodist Church yet, do we really want to drag our church through a nasty ecclesial divorce? 
And so as a board, we began this prayerful investigation of other options. And our hope was, can we find some alternative option out there that gives us some structure and accountability, but we're also among like-minded people who just want to amplify what God's already doing in our church? And so we began to pray as a board, God, what are you doing and how can we be a part of it? And so during this process, we came across a network uh, of, of really like-minded people, of people that we resonated with. Some of you will remember Ashley Matthews when Ashley came. Uh, I think it was in August. Ashley's church in Atlanta is a part of this network. And the more we read, and we just did exhaustive research, I did individually, and the board did a lot of looking, we thought this is a really great fit for us. The things that we're currently striving for are in the DNA of this network, and we can actually learn from them because they're further ahead of us. They love the scriptures. They're Trinitarian. They've got kind of a charismatic vibe where they're open to the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the language of being shaped by the gospel is integral to who they are. They're big on justice and renewal, which is some of the most aspirational parts of our mission as a church. And we already resonate and align with their theology. In addition to this, in their leadership, they're, they're racially diverse, and they're big on church planting, which is something we've been budgeting for since the day we started receiving offerings. And this network is called Churches for the Sake of Others, or it's abbreviated C4SO. And think about how phenomenal this name is. For whom does the church exist? For the sake of others. Somebody really smart said, the church is the only institution that exists for the benefit of its non-members. And Churches for the Sake of Others, or C4SO, is actually part of the Anglican Church of North America. Now, you may already know this, but the Methodist movement came out of Anglicanism, came out of the Church of England. And John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist movement that became the Methodist Church, was born an Anglican, and he died an Anglican, and never wanted this movement to leave the Church of England. But there was this little skirmish called the Revolutionary War that made it unpopular to be associated with the Church in England if you lived in the colonies. So we, as we studied, we recognized that if we joined uh, C4SO, there would be no major shifts in our theology because this is already our tribe. And as we continued to study, we saw not only like lots of green flags, we saw lots of red flags. When, when Ashley came to town, our board met with her, and there was a sense of being kindred spirits. C4SO, a couple weeks after Ashley came to town, was having this clergy gathering, this pastoral retreat in California, and Emily and I got permission to attend. And we just had a ball. We loved what we saw. We saw healthy people. We saw a spiritual vitality and vibrancy. We saw collegiality and mission. We saw intellectual rigor, and we thought, this is really, really great. We got to have breakfast with their bishop, whose name is Todd Hunter, a fascinating guy, authoritative, uh, and just mature, wise, godly, uh, powerful man. We got to have breakfast with Bishop Todd and with his wife. And the first night we were there, Bishop Todd gave a talk on the future of Anglicanism. And he said, Anglicanism at its best is not self-referential or self-obsessed. And here's what he meant. The Anglican bishop was saying, I don't care if the people in your pews are proud card-carrying Anglicans. I care that they are proud card-carrying Christians who are living into their Christian identity and mission. And I thought, that is great because I don't want to, be, I don't want to adopt a denominational title as the thing that defines me. I want to adopt a title as a follower of Jesus. And this guy's on with that. I'm great with that. 
He also gave this talk on the Holy Spirit, saying when we pray, come Holy Spirit, we're trusting the Spirit to be made manifest, to speak and correct and encourage. And so Emily and I began to pray, Holy Spirit, come and tell us what to do. And we left that week with a definite sense of clarity from the Spirit that God had been leading us to make this connection. And in addition to that, the bishop was also sensing it and said, I'm going to throw the doors wide open for you in your ordination and your congregation to become part of this tribe. Now, look, I am not Moses on the mountain. The Holy Spirit does not just speak to pastors and just does not just speak to leaders. The Spirit speaks to the church. So what did our church think about that? So I bring this conversation home. Our, our, our board had had the benefit of researching this and talking this through for some time. We prayerfully tossed this over. We had tons of conversation and resolved by the end of the conversation that we sensed that God was leading us to link arms with this like-minded network, churches for the sake of others. And not only has there been a ton of peace in this decision, um, it also alleviates some of the specific pain points that we're experiencing in our current network, where I'm under no, I'm under, uh, no like, pressure of being moved to another church. We have the opportunity to own our own building, and we're just part of a healthy tribe that's growing. In addition to that, they are already of our same theological tribe and family. This would require no major shifts uh, in terms of Sunday morning worship. I'm, we're not becoming Roman Catholic. I'm not going to start wearing a clerical collar. The things that you like about our church are going to continue. In fact, when Ashley was here, I asked her, so what would need to change about our church to be able to fit with churches for the sake of others? And she said, nothing. You're already doing it. So over the last month, I have shared this intention with Pastor Tom from Asbury, with all of the, the administrative governing board at Asbury, and the conversations have been phenomenal. Uh, I shared this with Tom, Pastor Tom, over lunch and with his executive pastor, and he said, John, thank you for sharing this with me. Your decision makes a lot of sense, and you have my full blessing. And since then, I've been working my way through denominational leadership, meeting with my district superintendent and uh, the, the guy who's over New Faith Communities and with our bishop, and the conversations have been really, really peaceful. People have been gracious, and we've continued to have this sense, like the prophet Isaiah said, you'll go out with joy and be led forth in peace, and that's what it has felt like. It's felt like God anticipated our every move and blessed it. Now, I'm sure that probably like almost zero people in this room had ever heard of C4SO and you have no clue about Anglicanism and you're like, what the heck is happening? And that's okay. Uh, don't be intimidated. Don't be anxious. After the second service today, we're making a couple new pages live on our website where uh, you, can, you can ask, you can learn, you can find links, you can find books, you can see some FAQ kind of things. Uh, you, can, you can investigate if you want to, but I want you to be assured that your church leadership has done our due diligence. We're confident that this move is, is, is going to provide continuity among like-minded people who can help accentuate our mission, our ability to, to continue what God has started in our community. I honestly suspect that most of you won't feel a big shift. Uh, the person who's probably going to feel the greatest benefit from this change is me, uh, who gets to be part of a healthy team and have uh, some new teammates who are already rowing in the same direction. Uh, the role of this bishop is to be a pastor to pastors, and I need a pastor. 
I need somebody who's looking out for me, so I'm feeling really grateful and hopeful. Somebody is going to ask you in the next couple of days, well, okay, I heard something, and it's being announced at Asbury today, so if you know Asbury people, they'll say, what the, what's the deal going on? And you can just tell them this, Asbury is officially launching, Cornerstone is officially launching from Asbury. We're joining a network called Churches for the Sake of Others. It's really healthy, and they love to plant churches, and if they have more questions, just send them to the internet, okay? So I've shared all of this, and you guys are taking in a lot of information right now. I've already shared with you that we've been able to launch from a position of strength as a church, largely because of the generosity of other people. And as we take this next step toward maturity as a church, we want to take this step with maturity. We want to do it really well. And so I want to let you know that as we are making this transition, we are returning with gratitude all of the money that has been given to us by the United Methodist Church. That means that we're cutting a check for $100,000 and giving it to the Council Oak District. We're cutting a check for $200,000 and we're giving it to the Oklahoma Annual Conference. In special honor and appreciation for Pastor Tom, who's helped me get my start in ministry and has blessed the launch of Cornerstone, we're cutting a check for $25,000 that's being given to a scholarship in Tom's name to Asbury Theological Seminary, which is a cause that's near and dear to his heart. Nina on our staff is currently a beneficiary of that scholarship, and we are taking responsibility for the rest of her theological education, which is going to cost about $40,000. Now, uh, we're doing this because it reflects the kind of people we want to be as a church. Uh, we want to be people who are striving for maturity, who, are, who want to go out in every transition with dignity and honor and blessing and appreciation. And this is a big financial decision for a young church, uh, but we're able to do it because you've been generous. We've been able to do it because, because you have said, this is my church and I'm going to be a stakeholder, I'm going to be part of it. And so we can, we can cut these checks, not on a payment plan, but once and hand it off and confidently operate in the black in 2020. We're not laying off staff, we're not slashing our budget, we're moving forward with confidence because God has blessed us through your generosity. Thanks be to God. At the same time, we're also anticipating that our costs are going to go up by bringing all this admin in-house, so please continue to be generous. And if Cornerstone's your church and you've never given, I would just encourage you to make a plan to give. And maybe it would be taking a step to do a year-end gift this year. Maybe it would be like making a plan to give on a regular basis uh, beginning in next year. Wherever you are, just urge you to, is to consider your relationship with our church and to be a stakeholder, to take responsibility. Now, there are tons of other areas where we want to develop as a church in 2020. I haven't talked about local and global renewal. We want to continue to invest in our student ministry. There are things that we want to do to develop the infrastructure to care for our congregation in here, but I have shared the four big ones about our teaching, working through the Sermon on the Mount, learning what it means to be the community of the Mount, to worship Christ of the Mount, in our discipleship, trying to cultivate emotionally healthy disciples relaunching and expanding and, and, and contending for the work of God through prayer and now taking this big step of growing up as a congregation. But what is the big why behind all of this? Because you don't care about denominations for the most part. That's what not, that isn't what attracted you to our church in the first place. That's not what wakes you up in the morning. We're taking all of these steps because of this big end toward which we've been called. We're taking these steps to faithfully proclaim Christ, to strenuously contend for the kingdom of God. 
We're joining this network because we believe it will make more of what God is already doing in our community, amplifying the message, complementing and enhancing what God has already done, and helping us to continue our mission to cultivate communities shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. This is an us thing. We're moving forward saying we're a family together. And there's some steps that you could take. The first step I'd urge you to take is to pray. Uh, maybe you really don't know how to pray, and your first steps will be like engaging with these new opportunities to learn or develop a habit of prayer. We can all take steps toward that end. To pray for, to pray for Asbury, to pray for the UMC, to pray for this tribe we're joining, to pray for the work of God in our community, to pray for the lost, to pray for our brothers and sisters in persecuted countries that we're persecuting. I'd urge you to pray. Uh, next, I'd urge you to investigate. So there are some new terms that you're going to hear. You've, you've probably not heard of C4SO. You don't know much about the Anglican Church of North America. So study. I think you're going you're gonna to benefit from study, from research. The third, I'd invite you to give, to, to become an owner, uh, to, to, to be a stakeholder in what God's doing in our community. And fourth, it's just to sink down roots. You can learn a lot about a person's relationship with their church in the language that they use. They talk about the church as a they or a you guys or in the third person, like, well, Cornerstone seems to be really good or really bad at X, Y, Z. But if Cornerstone is your church, make it an us. Make it a we. When you gather on a Sunday morning and you see somebody who's got deer in the headlights, it's your church. Go, go introduce yourself to them. Introduce them to the one person in the church that you know. You see a person sitting by themselves. You see someone who wants to get plugged into community. Invite them into your apprentice group where we are currently struggling like partner with us to make it better, to grow, to invest. This is an us thing. And this is the work of the church. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all authority so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend, we strenuously contend with all of the energy that Christ so powerfully works in us. This is our invitation Let's do this together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in all of these conversations, our ambition is that you would be honored and glorified. So we say, come Holy Spirit, do your work. Correct us, unite us, encourage us, point us in the right direction. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bless Asbury United Methodist Church and Tom Harrison. I pray that you would bless the Council Oak District and the Oklahoma Annual Conference. I pray that Jesus would be glorified in the work of your church all around the world. We also pray for C4SO. We pray for every one of us in this congregation that you would, by your spirit, beckon us on toward the deeper things of God, that we may become fully mature in Christ. To this end, we strenuously contend. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.